Hello, my name is Pramendra Sharma. I am the Program Director of Pacific Island Center for Development Policy and Research. And we are about to have a conversation with Dr. Peter Dirao, who is the adjunct research fellow with Griffith Asia Institute, visiting us this month. And we're going to talk about Peter's views on uh, some of the things we are doing here in the center, as well as his insights on the region relating to the policies and other things. Dr. Peter Dirau, welcome to this uh, conversation with PICDPR. Uh, as you know, it is geared towards uh, developing capacity for policymaking and research in the Pacific region. Uh, and uh, part of that program, uh, what we are doing today, is to make our program more visible globally. That's why we're having this conversation, so that we can get some insights from yourself, who we see as an expert on the Pacific region, uh, to talk, take us through and talk, talk a little bit more about your views on the region. So... Um, I would like to start by um, asking yourself to uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your background. I gather that you have uh, been a consultant with ADB and um, you have uh, had a lot of interest in the region, in the Pacific, and uh, you have worked with the region and for the region on several issues, uh, especially the financial sector. So would you like to tell us something about that, please? Sure. Well, firstly, thanks for having me. Um, it's nice to be here at, at Griffith and um, also with your centre. Um, looking back on my experience, um, I feel I've been a bit mercenary. I've worked for just about all of those big agencies um, in the development business, uh, from IMF to World Bank, IFC, the UN agencies, bilateral programs with the Australian government, um, New Zealand government, um, even the UK aid agency. And what's tended to happen is that I've um, moved around uh, and across these agencies as my interests have changed or there's a particular topic I wanted to get more immersed in. With respect to the Pacific, I've had three distinct phases. Um, the first was in the late 80s to early 90s. Way back when I was at the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, um, what used to happen was um, I would be loaned out to uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to work on uh, Pacific finance issues from time to time. Um, mostly it involved the Cook Islands at that point, and Cook Islands has a special political relationship with New Zealand, of course, and I'd be working on anything to do with you know, the finance sector issues in the Cooks. Um, offshore banking was a big issue. Uh, anything to do with the public debt of the Cook Islands was, was a big issue for New Zealand because they were guaranteeing that debt. And I also got involved with um, a very big macroeconomic study of the Cook Islands, which went over 18 months, uh, in connection with how New Zealand was going to calibrate its aid program uh, to the Cooks. So phase two was once I had um, launched out on my own as an independent consultant, that was well, phase two in the Pacific was um, late 1990s, early 2000s. Um, I was working a lot on financial sector programs, financial sector loan programs, financial sector reform work, including central banking reform um, across several um, Pacific countries. Uh, Samoa was um, the place I probably went to most often 
at, at that time, um, working for the, the big agencies, um, the, you know, the multilateral banks, ADB in particular at that time. And the third phase, the most recent phase, was the most intensive phase um, that went from early, no, early 2014 to early 2021, and that's when we got to know each other, um, and that was in my role uh, in the what was called the Pacific Private Sector Development Initiative, um, the acronym most people know it by is PSDI. It's a, it's a program uh, funded by the Australian government and New Zealand government, managed by the ADB. And I think latterly the EU might have come on board and might be providing some financial support. So in that program, I led the, the, the finance stream. Um, and as the name suggests, you know, we were looking at ways of improving private participation in these economies and you know, finance is essential to in increasing that, uh, that, that, that um, uh, contribution from private agencies. But um, it, it went, went in some interesting directions and um, I found myself thinking very hard about things that, that I had taken for granted for, for quite some time, um, e.g. the role of particular financial institutions, you know, what, what the bank was supposed to be doing or what the bank needed to be doing in the Pacific, how to think about long-term investment in fi uh, finance in small countries. So intellectually, it was probably one of the most challenging jobs I've ever had. Um, these you know, problems are problems, problems uh, are there to be solved, um, but I, I found quite often that um, the toolkit didn't have what was needed to um, really start to be confident about fixing some of these problems in the Pacific, if I, if I relied on that conventional toolkit. So I, for the last three or four years, I've been thinking quite, um, in, quite hard about um, the peculiarities of the Pacific and ways uh, of thinking that lend themselves to unlocking those problems in the Pacific, um, particularly the finance sector problems. Well, thank you very much for that response. Very vast and rich. A lot of things, or some of the things I may not have been very well aware of, not too familiar with. So thank you very much for sharing that with us. And that also leads me to the next question I might have for you, which is, given that experience, that background, and uh, after ADB, post-ADB, when you were looking to uh, continuing to do some work in the region, be connected with the region, uh, you reached out to Griffith Asia Institute and particularly our center here, PICDPR, to see if you could find a role, you know, to keep you uh, going in the region. But you could easily have gone to um, some more established programs like that at uh, ANU. I was just wondering then, what was it that attracted you to PICDPR? Well, it's, it's quite easy to answer. You know, I, of course, seen you know, the predecessor in action, the uh, South Pacific Centre for Central Banking. Um, so I knew, uh, I had a reasonable feel for you know, what was being done under that program. And uh, the easy answer is that uh, you have a real point of difference here. And that point of difference is the emphasis put on capacity building, capacity building of those Pacific policy agencies, you know, predominantly the finance agencies, ministries of finance, central banks. And I haven't seen that anywhere else. And, and you know, I sit comfortably with my own personal interests. It's a way I like to spend my time. Um, you know, I like being around younger people. Um, it keep, keep, keeps me 
thinking, it you know, uh, introduces me to uh, new ways of thinking, you know, keeps me current. Um, probably the trigger, you know, I'd been mulling this over for you know, a, a little while, and the, the, the trigger would have been the um, participation in the research conferences uh, that you ran. So this is the pre-COVID days when we you know, had, the, had the events in person. So I went to two of those, if you remember, um, one in um, one in Fiji um, and one in Vanuatu, and the first one I went to um, in, in in Suva left a, a lasting impression on me. I didn't didn't come away with that um, you know, with the uh, expecting. I did. I came away with it feeling uh, quite differently about what was possible, what might be possible, and what I observed was uh, a group of younger people, you know, um, largely you know, new graduates or people that hadn't been out of university very long who were doing some very, very good work, publishable work. Um, and what further left its mark on me was the way these people presented that work. So this wasn't the stereotypical Pacific shyness on display. It wasn't the stereotypical uh, discomfort uh, at being in a large group of people and you know, being up there in front of that large group of people. It was a, a confidence in what they had done and a confidence in being able to present that work. And all of those presentations were, were very polished and you know, I remember looking at the governors in the front row at, uh, at, at one point during those, those presentations and you could see they were having a similar uh, reaction as well. You know, well, you know, these are our people. You know, you know, we've underestimated you know, what our people can do. So that was, you know, was uh, a trigger. Um, uh, you know, it was a very encouraging experience. And part B of, of, of that story is, um, I don't know whether you remember the details, but um, one of the presentations I did in, in Suva was uh, titled From uh, Research to Policy. So all the presentations up to that point had been on the research uh, these people have been doing in the research departments of those banks. And I was you know, selfishly having uh, a little bit of fun. And what I, was, what I set out to do was see how far I could push these people. So you know, I've got a, a few more years on some of them. Um, what you've done is terrific, uh, but I know there's a, there's a lot more uh, to be done and you're going to find out there's a lot more to be done. So I was uh, curious as to you know, how far they could be pushed, you know, whether they were open to the challenges, uh, whether they were open to thinking about other ways of conceptualising these problems. So you know, we, we learn through our universities, through our textbooks, you know, whoever we're exposed to and, and, and the typical learning experience uh, you know, and certainly for people in the Pacific, is um, the conventional mainstream theory. Um, and my experience is that that conventional mainstream theory doesn't play out that well in the Pacific. So what I was interested in, rather selfishly, was to see whether some of these people had started to come to that tentative conclusion based on the work they were doing. So in other words, these are the facts this is the empirical work that's being done in the Pacific. This is what it's telling us, but it's not a very good fit with a lot of what we've been taught or the theories that um, we're supposed to be working to. 
and that's 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 the role that I decided that um, I could contribute to uh, through PICDPR. You have shared your views with myself uh, on how you see the centre and its role in the region and some of the good work it has been doing, but not uh, at length. And I'm so pleased to know that you really have uh, some you have some regard, you know, high regard, and you value the center, the work it is doing. So thank you very much for that. I'm going to come back to this question a bit later, but before uh, our leading question to, to this a bit later, but before that, I'd like to know from you and given your background with IDB and in the region as well, in the financial sector particularly, uh, and this question that you could respond to it in terms of the financial sector only or the broader uh, issues relating to the Pacific. What I would like to know from you is, um, what do you see as the, let's say, three key policy challenges uh, for the region uh, in the, say, short or medium term, not the long term, or maybe also the long term, but mostly in the short or medium term, please? Sure. Um, it's, you know, it's a biggie. Uh, I'll stick to finance, um, if I may. That's what I've been thinking about most um, over the last few years. The qualifier being that um, finance doesn't have a life of its own. You know, finance exists, um, it plays a role to support the real economy in some way. And, and a lot of the financial problems we have, uh, have had you know, through history, have been when those two, finance and the real economy, become disconnected in some way. And I'm, I'm, I you know, find it a good discipline to, to work to, to you know, make sure I'm coming back to that connection um, in whatever I'm doing. You know, don't get too carried away with the intricacies of the finance or the technicalities of it. Um, it it's serving a purpose. There's a job or jobs that finance have to do. So in, in, if there's three big issues in the Pacific, um, well, the first one has to be something to do with climate change, of course. If climate change or dealing with climate change is the imperative facing the Pacific, and that's what the Pacific leaders are telling us, um, you know, well, we have to do something about it. And in the finance world, we have to um, come up with finance solutions. And by finance solutions, I'm talking about using the techniques of finance, the instruments of finance to do particular jobs. So just about everything to do with finance is about an assessment of some type of risk and the management of that risk. So you put in, you put in place the financial instrument to do it. You need some savers and borrowers. You, you'll need some investors and those that are engaged in the capital formation, for example. So what, what I've been uh, trying to do in, in, in my own thinking is um, keep this risk-taking role and financing of risk central um, to all the work I'm doing. So with respect to um, uh, disaster risk financing, we'll call it, what, what has struck me is how little money is at risk in the way finance solutions have been designed. So yes, there's a lot, a lot of debt money. Um, yes, there's a, a lot of grant money. Um, you know, some of the debt might be concessional, but yeah, it's still debt. And this is, you know, this concern with debt is something that the um, you know, Pacific Islands Forum has picked up on, and, and the, the leaders have been 
at pains to point out the need for the new uh, Pacific Resilience Facility that they are promoting. Uh, one of the re reasons being that there is too much debt finance out there already and too much of that component is geared to the post-disaster financing activity as, as opposed to resilience financing, we'll call it. Now that's all very understandable, well-intentioned, but what, what if you were talking about this in a conventional finance way, because it's such a risky endeavor, you, you, you're looking for risk capital to be in this game. So point number one is that there's not enough attention being directed to the design of those risk financing instruments for the Pacific. Um, you know, there are techniques in finance, catastrophe bonds being, being one of those, you know, index-linked securities more, more generally. The, you know, we haven't, we've had one try in the Pacific, um, serious try uh, through the Pagrafi scheme, which was a, a World Bank uh, initiative with some donor participation. It hasn't been very successful at all, and the World Bank's reviewing it uh, at, at the moment. Only five countries still participating, uh, insurance-based, um, and it just hasn't captured the imagination, right, rightly or wrongly. And you know, one of the reasons being, you know, the, the sums of money we're talking about here are too small relative to the to the scale of the problem. Well, there's other types of finance um, where capital is at risk that are, are, are better suited to taking on that risk. And then when it comes to debt, I find the, uh, you know, the use of debt, I find the uh, discussion uh, a little bit confusing as well. So everyone understands you know, why there might be uh, problems with debt servicing. But one, one, one part of this discussion that I don't think is getting sufficient airtime is that you can, you know, um, if the re economic return on that debt you know, far outweighs the cost of the debt, um, you know, you've got prima facie a good case for entering into that debt. And given what we're being told, that, that, that the payoff from uh, you know, substantial infrastructure investments or anything to do with uh, adaptation, um, well, that it, well, it's substantive. Uh, you know, again, prima facie, it suggests a, a very high economic return from incurring that expenditure, debt finance maybe. So my point here simply is that if we strip this back to the type of risk that you're dealing with and then reach into the toolkit for the appropriate finance solution, we'll probably end up in a better place. But at the end of the day, if we're talking risk finance, someone, someone has to step up. And um, in what I'm going to be promoting uh, um, more of uh, uh, in, in the months to follow is that um, the bigger governments in the region have most definitely a role to play in taking on some of that risk and building these markets. You know, we have to ask ourselves, why do these markets exist in other parts of the world and not in the Pacific? So that's, you know, there's answers to that. Um, but this, you know, unlocking those answers should lead us to a place where we're able to use these risk financing te techniques more appropriately. 
So that's, that's climate. Number two um, would be, I think this is a bit of a catch-all, but any, anything to do with banking. So you know, this plays out in several ways. Um, you know, some people might talk about it as an access to credit problem. Right? So the, the, the structural problem is that the institutions that we rely on in our finance sector to provide credit aren't providing this credit in, in the way that's desired, the way that is needed in the Pacific. And you know, there's various reasons f for that. Um, and you know, I, you know, if you strip it back to this risk-taking uh, dimension, it, it helps understand what's been happening in the Pacific. So you know, simply put, um, there's been a reluctance or an unwillingness to take on particular classes of risk. It's not that a, a particular activity is excessively risky. It's just that you know, the, the, the person with the, or the entity with, with the big pockets you know, doesn't really feel equipped to be entering into that business. You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't have the skill sets to make those credit assessments to manage the risk associated with it. It doesn't, doesn't have um, the balance sheet that's needed to support some higher level of risk taking. So again, you know, what I'm at pains to do here or trying to do is reduce this story to uh, one of finance. You know, if we're talking finance, we have to do ourselves a favour by using the language of finance. And that language is there. It suits the purpose of the discussion. It helps us focus on the job we want finance to do and the way we're going to go about doing it. So this banking problem or it's an, uh, an ill fit between those credit institutions we have in the Pacific and the type of risk that need to be financed. So that can be SMEs, you know, we could think of it in terms of the need for more financing for agriculture, uh, can, can be anything. There'll be a risk segment there that in all probability is, is not being served particularly well. And you could bundle into this sort of banking problem category anything to do with the correspondent banking relationships. Um, that's a well-known um, problem um, through the Pacific. It, it seems to be getting worse. Uh, and you know, people, the solution so far isn't there. Um, I suspect it's not too far away if we th start reaching into some of the fintech solutions that are, are around. But, but right now, it's, it's a problem that's worrying a, a lot of people. And quite clearly, if these correspondent banking relationships aren't there or uh, are imperiled, um, this has serious implications for, for Pacific economies. Now, the third, the third part of this you know, financing problem that I think is a major problem um, it doesn't, again, something that doesn't get a lot of airtime is anything to do with longer term investment finance. So the way to think about this is, um, you know, it's capital markets financing, but on a small scale. So how do we get this investment finance in the Pacific in the absence of stock exchanges? So Pacific has two, two stock exchanges, you know, one, one, one in uh, Fiji, one, one in PNG. Between them, I forget the exact number, there's just, just over 40 listings. Right? So again, you know, um, intentions are all in the right place, 
but the, 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 the fit between you know, what those institutions, those equity exchanges can do and what needs to be done is not at all good. So you know, to, to generalise, if, if the predominant business form is a small business, um, a small business needs much more than bank credit to, to get through life and, and to be able to grow, right? It, you know, it, it, needs, it might be lucky enough to um, get some working capital finance from the bank, but in all probability it won't have any luck getting money for expansion. Even you know, much bigger businesses struggle um, to get their um, investment financing needs met by the established institutions. This is not good, right? So problem is that the finance sector more generally is not meeting the financing needs of those businesses in the Pacific. This link between finance and the real economy um, just doesn't exist. It's not that it hasn't been broken. Uh, it's more that it hasn't been created to be broken. So that's, to me, that's, that's a really big problem. Um, and we've, you know, by talking too much about banks and, and credit, we lose sight of other forms of finance that are, are, are badly needed in the Pacific. So what brings these three areas together is um, that they're, uh, they're linked to the real economy. It's you're building this bridge between finance and the real economy. You're thinking about different classes of risk at any point, right? So the risk for you know, what the bank is extending credit on will be low, you know, considerably lower than you know, the equity finance that is needed for business expansion, for for example. Considerably lower again than this climate change risk that we talk, talked about earlier. So the general, general point here is that, and this is what, you know, the, the, the big issue for me in finance is the, that the financial architecture we have in the Pacific is not fit for purpose. The exercise that I've um, uh, embarked on is to do some serious thinking about what that architecture should look like. I can see uh, several um, conversation type articles coming out of this in terms of uh, making Australia and the readers here aware of the concerns you might have. And these are real concerns for the region, I can see. Uh, I can also see some policy papers being developed from all of this as well. Uh, and also yourself making a presentation to senior management in the region. So, but um, and also further discussions on your thoughts on each one of those policy areas that you talked about. So we can have we can be talking about this for a long time, but we need to wrap up this conversation. So I'll come to the last question that I have for you, and this is related to a question that I asked earlier about PICDPR. Why did you why were you attracted to that? Now, having outlined these issues, these policy issues, challenges for the region, very quickly. How do you see PICDPR playing a role in all of these things in terms of building capacity for policy or for research, please? Uh, quite simply, it's building this link between research and policy. So to keep those people going um, that you've been working with, take them to the next stage, 
um, help them work through the, the policy implications of, of the work they've been doing. So if there's work done on uh, what's happening in the finance sector, work through what needs to happen in terms of a financial sector development plan. What are the implications? What does this particular country need in terms of financing structures? So that, that's the obvious thing. So it's an extension of um, the uh, capacity building work uh, that, that you've been doing. And my objective would be, or what I would like to see happen is for a governor of a central bank, minister of finance, CEO of ministry of finance, at any point to be able to go in house and direct somebody to do the piece of work that's needed. Here we have a problem that's worrying our government. Um, you know, we need some serious research on this. We need a good piece of analysis on our policy options. And I would like to be able to um, equip people these younger people that uh, we were talking about earlier, to be able to do that job, have the confidence to do that job. Uh, it's difficult when you're you know, in a small organisation, in a small country, you've lost your networks that you've built up at university. What you're doing through PIC PDR is a way of re-engaging those people and, and building scale around that policy-making capability. Thank you very much for that, Peter. Thank you very much for your time, your insights, your views. Uh, they are, of course, very useful, very valuable for the region, of course, as I've been saying. Uh, but we're going to conclude the conversation here now. I look forward to talking to you again uh, at some time in the future about these issues in more detail. In the meantime, I hope you have had a good uh, time here at the Griffith Asia Institute uh, this month uh, and uh, working closely with uh, us and uh, GAI. Thank you very much for your time, Peter.